Well, good morning, church. As I said, it is good uh, to be together. It's good to see you this morning. One of the joys of parenting is watching your children grow up. One of the struggles in parenting is watching your children grow up and struggle. This is my daughter's backpack. It's not mine, uh, although I love it. It's got unicorns and rainbows, like with rainbow hair on it. Awesome. This is my daughter's backpack, and it's heavy. And she's only eight years old. She just turned eight in January. And honestly, I don't even know what's in here, all, all of what's in here. I just know that it's heavy and it's full. And she's got all the things that she needs for school. And so she's got some books in here. She's got her computer in here because nowadays all the children have the computers because they may or may not need them um, in, in school as part of our learning this year. Um, what a year it's been. And then she's got some other things in here, I'm sure, that just give her comfort and let her know that everything is, is going to be okay. But this is a heavy backpack, especially for an eight-year-old. And so every morning when I see her getting ready for school and, and getting ready to go outside, especially if she has her winter jacket on, it is a struggle to get this thing on and to get out the door. And, you know, it weighs about half of what she weighs. And so sometimes she'll put this thing on and she's a little bit unsteady <laughs> on her feet. And then she'll head out the door to go about her day. Today we're going to talk about the things that we carry. That sometimes we might just be better off setting down. We're going to talk about guilt and shame and the messes that we make of our lives and the invitation that we have from Jesus to let him carry that mess, not us. That's where we are headed this morning. We're going to start with, a, and we're going to be busy in the Bible. And so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and, and take it out. We're going to look at several different passages. We're going to tell a couple of different stories. We're going to look at the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to look at another story in the New Testament and, and look at both of those stories in terms of how does God respond to our guilt and what does God offer us in the midst of it. And so we're going to talk about guilt and shame. We'll start in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And this kind of picks up after the story. We're going to go back and fill in the, the before part. Um, but I wanted you to hear kind of the, the response first, and then we'll go back and, and do the background. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep, and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it and grew up. Uh, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man about guilt. This is a story about power and abuse of power. And it's a story about repentance 
and redemption and forgiveness. So let me, before we even get to that story, let me just back up even just a little bit more. So the original plan, so David was the king of Israel, right? But the original plan was that God would be the king. God was the king of Israel. That was the plan all along. And then we get into the time of the judges, and we read in Judges, that, so the judges were kind of sent to, to shepherd and to guard and to make decisions on behalf of Israel and to lead God's people. But that wasn't enough because the judges in, during that time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes is what scripture tells us. And we know that that can lead to trouble when we just do what is right in our own eyes. And so then the Israelites complained to the Lord and said, we would like a king. We want a king to lead us. We want a king to go out into battle on our behalf and to fight for us. And God says, well, I'm your king. But God relents and says, okay, you can have a king. And so Samuel says, you can have a king, but look, here's what's going to happen. Do you know what happens to kings? Kings take and take and take. Now you can have a king or you can stay with the God of all creation who gives and gives and gives. And they said, no, we want a king. We want somebody who's going to go out into battle and fight for us. And so God relents. The first king is Saul. That doesn't go so great. I'll let you read about that. The next king is David. David is anointed. And remember how he was chosen? He was chosen by Samuel to be king, even though he had seven older bigger, stronger, seemingly more qualified brothers to lead Israel. But when Samuel showed up, the Lord said, no, no, I don't want any of those seven. There's one more. And that's the guy that I want to be king. Do you remember why? Because the Lord looks at the heart. And God looked at David's heart and saw what God was looking for, for the leader of Israel, a, a man after God's own heart, Scripture says David was. And so David is anointed king. He goes and he, he fights Goliath. Remember that? Uh, he's victorious. He, leads, he does what the king is supposed to do, right? This is before he, everybody knew he was king, but he goes and leads into battle. He's victorious. Uh, and then we come to this story. <laughs> Things are going well. Everybody's excited. Israel's winning battles. The nation's coming back. Things are good. And then we get to this story. And in the beginning of chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, in the springtime, when kings go off to war, David stayed home. Remember why Israel wanted a king in the first place? They wanted somebody to go and fight their battles. And David decided, he did that for a while, and then he just went ahead and, and delegated that task to, to Joab, his army commander, to go fight the battles. And David stayed home. So right away we see a hint that, hey, this, something's amiss here. This is the springtime. Kings should be going off to war. David didn't do that. He stays home. And what happens? He goes up on the roof one night of the palace, and he looks out, and he sees Bathsheba. And he's the king. So he can do what he wants. And so he inquires about, hey, who is, who is this woman? Can you bring her to me? And so they bring her to him, and, and he, he sleeps with her, even though he knows 
When he asked about who is this, they said, this is Uriah's wife, Uriah the Hittite. David still says, well, bring her, bring her to me. He sleeps with her. And the only words that Bathsheba gets in this whole narrative is she comes back and says, I'm pregnant. Well, David goes into cover-up mode, right? At least he tries to. And so he goes and he invites, uh, he tells his commander, hey, would you bring Uriah, the, the husband, back uh, from the battlefront? And so he does, and, and Uriah comes back, and, and David says, hey, um, man, I know you're out there. I know you're working hard. Uh, why don't you just take a break? Why don't you go home, be with your wife, just, just hang out? So he could cover up for his sin, right? While Uriah is a man of honor. And Uriah doesn't go home. He sleeps out right outside the city gate. He says, how can I go home when my fellow soldiers are still out fighting the war? I can't do that. So he doesn't go home. David hears about this and says, okay, I'll t- let me try again. So he invites Uriah back to the palace and he offers him food and drink and he gets him drunk thinking, surely now he's going to go home and he's going to see his wife and then this whole thing will be over and behind us. Well, no, <laughs> he doesn't. Uriah doesn't go home. So David's still got the problem. And so then David goes and decides to, again, just take matters into his own hands because he's the king and he can do that. And so he sends a letter with Uriah to Joab, the commander of the army, saying, hey, next time you're out in the battlefield, put Uriah at the front and withdraw so that he's killed. So David... David messes up, and then he continues to try to cover up for his mess. He goes on, and he has Uriah killed. He commits adultery, he commits murder. I, there's a whole bunch of commandments there that David broke, right? The man after God's own heart. And yet, what do we see? When he's confronted by Nathan which was a dangerous thing for Nathan to do. Think about that. To go into the king and tell this story about, hey, you are the man in the story. You are the one who has done wrong. You are the one who has abused your power. You are the one who has sinned. David could have, right there, just had Nathan taken out, right? I mean, he already had Uriah taken out. What's, what's one more, right? But he didn't. Instead, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I know this story, um, as remarkable as it is, might be a little difficult for us to relate to. I don't know any of us that has that kind of power, (laughs) right? Uh, That when we make a mistake, we have the power to command people to go kill other people to cover up the mistake. That's not something we can really relate to, right? But yet, I wonder how often do we act in ways that seem right in our own eyes? I wonder how often do we decide to to fight our own battles rather than to let God fight for us? I wonder how often we take and take and take instead of letting God give.
Verses seven through nine, uh, David confronts, uh, Nathan confronts David and says, and says this, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave your master's wives into your arm. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you more. And yet, what did you do? You took and you took and you took just like I told you kings would. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognizes his guilt. And he confesses. And we're going to talk more about confession both today and next week. But I wonder, as we hear this story and we try to connect with it, because again, this story was was written a long, long time ago. and It was told the history of, of David, but it's still... We believe that scripture is living and active and, and it speaks to us today too. So where do we find ourselves in this story? What has God given you? What have you taken? How have you, like David, sinned against the Lord? And in what ways are you guilty before the Lord? That's what the season of Lent invites us to consider this morning as we journey with Jesus to the cross. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And we can read more about his reaction in Psalm 51. This is a psalm that David wrote upon being confronted by Nathan. And I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then he goes and he confesses and he tells the truth. And he starts by telling the truth about God. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion. And this is a great place to start telling the truth, right? Tell the truth about who God is first, because that gives us the courage to go to God and seek forgiveness. I want to just step through a couple of these verses here um, from Psalm 51. There's several action verbs that we notice. It says, he says, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Those are all very active sort of hands-on kinds of verbs. The, uh, the word blot out could be translated obliterate. So just remove it completely. Wash away. This has laundry connotations. And remember back in David's day, uh, they didn't do laundry by putting it in a machine and pressing start, right? Laundry was a very active, rigorous process of scrubbing and working and getting your hands involved in the process. And this is the way that David asks God to remove his sin 
Get involved. Be here. Hands on. Work. Cleanse is the same thing. Blot out, wash away. Cleanse. There's a a physicality to that. Physically remove the things that get in the way of our relationship with God. And then he has three other words for sin that that are interchangeable but, but have nuances as well. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse my sin. Transgressions is it's kind of an older sort of word. We don't use that a whole lot, but what it means is it's a, it's a willful defiance of God. It's purposely straying or rebelling or, or walking away from the path that God would have for us. Iniquity comes from the root word for bending or twisting, kind of veering off of the right track. And sin just means missing the mark. Failure as a result of of a personal choice that we made. And so David says, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. I've done evil in your sight. So you are right, God, to judge me. And your verdict is justified. Guilty. Guilty. But notice what God does. God does the heavy lifting. God is the one who completely removes our sins. That's not on us to do. We are not meant to carry the weight of that sin forever. But we are stuck with the consequences of our sins. 2 Samuel uh, verses 9 and 10 from chapter 12, it says this. Now, therefore, Nathan's describing what what he did. You despise the Lord by doing what is evil. Um, And here's what's going to happen. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. He goes on and says this. This is what the Lord says out of your household, verse 11. I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Those are the verses that, you know, the pastors usually leave out. Like, really? You're going to take his wives and let someone else in broad daylight? Like, that's part of the punishment? for? Yeah, the Bible's got some interesting stuff in it, doesn't it? Man. God bless the women um, in that day (laughs) and in this day who are still subject to men's whims of power and, and advantage. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. See how quick that happens? David recognizes his guilt and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Just, just like that. You are not going to die. Even though David had said, this man should die. You are the man, David. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. So again, we sin and God works. God's God's work on the cross through Christ forgives like that. God does the heavy lifting for us, but our sin still has consequences that we have to live with. A lot of times when we sin, one of the consequences can be shame. 
right? That shame stays with us, that sense that I've done something wrong. And, and where, that, where we get into trouble with that is when it, kind of the distinction between guilt and shame, Brene Brown describes it this way. Uh, guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. Guilt is, I made a mistake, I've done something. Shame is, I am a mistake. And I think sometimes when we carry that shame too long, that's the message that we can internalize. And I think sometimes we carry that backpack, those burdens of sin, for way longer than God would intend for us to carry it. And so I want to look at another story about shame this morning. This comes from from the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is a story about Jesus and a confrontation in sin. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Can you even imagine what that must have been like for that woman? The kind of guilt and shame to be dragged in front of the public and told that you were caught in the very act of adultery. And yet, how does Jesus respond? Well, he doesn't really focus on her guilt or her, um, the penalty that was due to her according to the law. Instead, Jesus takes his accu- the accusers to task instead. See, they had assumed that Jesus would want to forgive her, and they were looking for a reason to, to get Jesus, right? They assumed, they knew that Jesus, like God, Jesus was kind and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so they were hoping that Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven, so they could get at him for that, or for proclaiming the power to forgive sin, or for going against the law. Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. So they were trying to catch Jesus in this catch-22. Are you going to be merciful or are you going to uphold the law? Notice they only brought the woman, right? Who doesn't get a name. Where was the man? The man was in the act as well, 
right? They only brought the woman. And so Jesus discerns that, hey, they're not really concerned about this woman who has sinned. They're, they're trying to get me. And so Jesus is, is smarter than that. And so he, he says, well, go ahead. Let the one of you without sin cast the first stone. And they all walk away. And, and Jesus now turns to the woman who has been shamed. And he says to her, did no one condemn you? Then neither do I. He offers compassion in the face of her clear guilt. She is guilty. But yet, Jesus offers compassion and says, go and leave your life of sin. Shame is not ours to carry. We don't see a lot of shame in David's story. He admits his sin and he takes it to God. He acknowledges, though, that he was wrong and God is right to judge. With the woman, Jesus had a right to judge. He could have agreed with the Pharisees. He could have said, you're right, she deserves to die. But instead, he offered compassion. Jesus saved her life. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And so he offers forgiveness, but he also offers freedom, new life, salvation, in fact, leaving our lives of sin. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to us today as well. Go and leave your life of sin and find freedom in that. We are not meant to carry these burdens forever. The work that Jesus accomplished on the cross takes care of carrying this. I want to invite the worship team to come forward as we consider this truth this morning. Um, Sometimes I get to walk with my daughter, Anne, and, and I get to uh, take her to school or take her back from school. And, and when I see her, you know, struggling like this to walk, I am glad to say, hey, can I, can I carry that for you? And as soon as I do, and that backpack comes off of her back, it's like she just flits away. Like she's just so light and free because she doesn't have to carry that burden anymore. There's a story in Exodus, with, there's an encounter with, with Moses and God, and, and Moses is kind of saying, how am I supposed to do all this work that you've given me to do? In Exodus 13, verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Jesus says something similar to his followers in Matthew 28, or sorry, Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's talking about those of us who are bound by the law, bound by our recognition that we are guilty, all of us, every one of us, guilty, yes, as charged, guilty. But we don't have to be bound by that guilt. We don't have to carry that shame forever. Jesus says, I am with you, and I have come that you might have rest. Jesus takes these burdens 
and tells us we don't have to carry them. That work is done. That work is accomplished. Lay it down at the cross and be free. Amen.